Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. This is a mistake. Why would you call it that on your menu? I don't know what to tell you, man. Just give me all the bacon and eggs you have. Wait, wait, I worry what you just heard was, give me a lot of bacon and eggs. What I said was, give me all the bacon and eggs you have. Do you understand? Good morning, Lifehouse. It's all about Jesus. Why do I have gum up here? I feel like I've got gum up here. I need to get this out of my mouth. Here you here you go, Mike. You can take my gum for me. Lacey, is that you? Here you go. Take my gum for me. He's my sister. <laughs> Don't, do not podcast that, okay? No. It's all about Jesus. I like you, whoever you are. I can't see you at all. It's all about Jesus. Now, what I fear you might have heard in the same way Ron Swanson wanted to make sure the waiter heard him correctly. He said, give me all the bacon and eggs you have. Now, I want to make, first off, Ron Swanson fans. Do we have any Ron Swanson fans here? Okay, good, man. We got some Ron Swanson fans. If you do not watch Parks and Recreation, you're missing out. You should check it out. But he said, give me all the bacon and eggs you have. Then he said, I want to make sure you heard me correctly. Because I want to make sure you didn't hear Give me a lot of bacon and eggs. Don't just give me 80% of the bacon and eggs you have. (laughs) I want to make sure you heard me. Give me all the bacon and eggs you have. Now, when I say it's all about Jesus, I want to make sure you hear me correctly. I want to make sure you fully understand what I'm saying. That it is not 60% about Jesus. It is not 70% about Jesus. It is not some way, some shape, some form, Christianity is somewhat about Jesus. Christianity, history, the Bible, the center, it's all about Jesus. Do you understand? Recently, over the past month, I've, I've had three conversations, one at the beach, one at the gym, and one at a hotel with different people um, about Jesus. And, you know, typically I'm a a somewhat talkative guy, so I can pretty much strike up conversation with with anybody. But the conversation typically goes, so, hey, what do you do? And I always sometimes don't like to give the answer, I'm a pastor. Because when you tell someone that you are a pastor, it either gets really vulgar (laughs) <laughs> or it gets really weird. Because then they're like, oh, uh, then, then they start thinking back to, well, I went to church one time when I was eight years old. <laughs> I was like, like, yeah, I went to church 15 years ago. I didn't like it. You know, it's like they, you know, it's like they try to find some spiritual way to connect, which is nice. But at the same, same time, like people can kind of get weird. You know, then they're like, if, if they cuss, they're like, I'm so sorry for cussing. I'm like, dude, it's okay. You can say whatever you want. I'm not your judge, bro. It's like, it's, 
it's okay, right? But each of these conversations, though, led to, to these people saying similar things, things like this. Well, really, all religions are practically the same. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of like really when, whenever you look at them all, you know, there's, there's a lot of similarities and common threads through them. And they talked about the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, which, yes, is definitely through, which is definitely a thread throughout, throughout different religions. And then they would say things, love, you know, it's all about love. And, and, and what I tried to explain to them is that Christianity does have some things in common with other religions. There are, there are the things love. Yes, we are called to love each other. Different religions teach that and call their people to practice that. The golden rule, definitely. But what I think separates Christianity from every other religion is in that word Christianity. And it's Jesus. Jesus is what makes every other religion different from Christianity. Why? Because no other religious leader in Buddhism, Muslims, Hindus, none of their religious leaders said the kind of things that Jesus said and made the kind of proclamations that Jesus made. No other person said, I am God. Jesus flatly, plainly, clearly exclaimed, I am God. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. If you see me, you've seen the Father, because me and the Father, God the Father, are one. Jesus made claims that basically Jesus was saying, I, I am not equal to these other gods. Now, we can, either, we can view that one of two ways. Some, some people view it as Jesus is a huge nar, nar, narcissist. Is that he's all about him. It's kind of like, oh, I am the man. I'm the one. I'm in charge. It's all about me. However, though, you can also see it as Jesus was, was also saying, let me tell you all something. No one loves you the way that I love you. No one is going to go and do for you what I've done for you. No other God is going to die for you. No other God is going to take the place of your sin and take the punishment that you. no one is going to take your place. I view it the second way. Why? Because God's heart towards us is love. So Jesus came and proclaimed things that no other God did, but he didn't just proclaim them. He didn't just say, I'm going to die and then I'm going to actually rise. Jesus actually went and did it. Jesus is what makes Christianity different. And if, if, if you miss that, you miss it all. Jesus is the center of Christianity. Jesus is the one that makes him different from every other God. Now, Jesus is not only the center of Christianity, but Jesus is also the center of history. Check this out. At first glance, Jesus' resume is rather simple, yet he changed everything. He never traveled more than a few hundred miles from his home. He never held a political office, never wrote a book, never married, never had sex, never attended college, never visited a big city, and never won a poker tournament. But yet more songs have been sung to him 
artwork created of him, books written about him than anyone who has ever lived. In fact, Jesus looms so large over human history that we actually measure our time by him as our calendar is divided into the years before and after his birth. Holidays is centered around who? Jesus, his birth and his, and his death and resurrection. Jesus is the center of Christianity. Jesus is the center of history. But also, Jesus is the center of the Bible. If you try to read, interpret, make sense of the Bible without Jesus being the center of it, you literally miss the whole point. The Old Testament. You know, we've been going through the Old Testament the past whatever weeks in this series, going through creation, Abraham, Moses, Esther, Israel, and just talking about how all of the Old Testament points towards Jesus. One, one preacher said it this way, and, and I think it's very well said when talking about how the Old Testament points towards Jesus and how really every story in the Old Testament points towards the coming and the appearance of Jesus, he said this, Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void, not knowing whether he went to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice that we deserved. So we, like Jacob, only received the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed him and sold him and uses his power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes and saves his friends. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't risk, who didn't just risk leaving an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate and heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. Jesus is the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain, so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, and the true bread. Some of you might be like, what do all of those things mean? But let me tell you, all of those references are in the Old Testament, pointing towards the appearance and coming of Jesus Christ. Why? He is the center of of scripture. Let me kind of 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 show this to you. I need my Jesus illustration here. I think his name is Mike Knapp. He's looks like Jesus. I think if we were going to do a Jesus play here, Mike would probably be in the final 3 of people that we would do. Uh, he's got a beard. He could pass for being a 30-year-old. <laughs> so definitely Mike could be a be a Jesus special. character. But just imagine this. All right, you've got Jesus. He's in the center, right? And put your arms out like you're on the cross, okay? Just to make it look really Jesus-y. And you better not take your arms down or you're fired, okay? Just, 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 just saying that, okay? Anyway, though, you've got the Old Testament. The gun shows out. Uh, the Old Testament o o over on this side. You've got 39 books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all of these different books. And they've got so many different 
stories and themes running through them. Abraham, Noah, Adam, Moses, the sacrificial system, Esther, Israel, all, all of these things, which we saw as we've been studying in this sermon series, all of these things point towards and are all about pointing towards Jesus and Jesus coming. Flip it though, right? Jesus, New Testament, which, which today we're going to be checking out the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. New Testament, the first four books, but also beyond that, they point back to Jesus. The Old Testament prophesies and testifies and points towards Jesus coming. The New Testament, with its 29 books, points back towards what Jesus did, who Jesus was, and what Jesus did in Jesus' life. But the bottom line, Jesus is the center. The Old Testament points towards, the New Testament points back. Give, give Sexy Mike a big hand. Appreciate you. You kept your hands up the whole time. Good job, buddy. Jesus is the center. If you read the, the, the Old Testament without that lens, it doesn't make sense. But then when we switch lanes and we come into the New Testament, the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are basically firsthand eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. Imagine if you were a disciple. So let's, let's say you were one of the twelve. And, you, and Jesus said, come and follow me. And you were like, yo, okay, I'm going to follow you. And you started following Jesus, and you, you literally started with your own eyes seeing him heal people, seeing him raise the dead. You saw Lazarus, who was dead, and now he's alive. You saw him, people had eyes in the back of their heads, and Jesus prayed for them, and they could see straight. You, you had people, kids who were dead, sick, people who couldn't walk, and now they're walking. You saw all this happen, and you heard all of Jesus's teachings about himself, him saying, look, I'm going to go into the grave for three days, but then, but then I'm coming out. You heard Jesus say these things, and then you saw him betray, Judas betray him. And you're watching this like, what in the world is going on? I thought Jesus was going to be this great religious political leader that was going to save us from this psycho Rome rulership that we have. I thought that we were going to be brought back. Israel was finally going to be brought back and be a country and be somebody. But now Jesus, he's, he's, he just got betrayed, arrested, and now he's in Pilate's hands, and Pilate sentences him to death. And then, you know, if, if you're one of the 12, you're like, what in the world is, is going on here? Jesus gets beat up, bruised up. Jesus, then he goes on the cross and gets crucified. And you're like, that is our leader. Our leader just is just getting killed. You see the thorn in his head, the spear in his side, nails in his hands. And you're like, what in the world is going on? Like, I, like, I thought he was going to be. And then you've got somebody come up to you, and they're like, hey, weren't you one of Jesus' disciples, Peter? And, and Peter's like, I don't know who the that guy is. Never seen him before in my life. Don't know who, the, who that guy is. And, and then from there, you kind of gather up all of the disciples and Jesus followers gather up and they're like, what do we do now? Our leader is dead. I thought we had so much hope in him. I thought he was going to be the, be the one that was going to save us. But then Jesus walks into the room where you are. And you're like, whoa, 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 you're a ghost. I don't know who you are. Jesus, though, eloquently and lovingly lets, lets you know and shows you, no, view my side, view my hands. This is a physical body. I rose from the dead rose from the grave, just like I said. If you were a disciple, 
and you could not tweet. You could not go Facebook Live. You could not Insta-story this. You could not Insta-story it and be like, I told y'all Jesus was rising from the dead. All y'all haters out there and you're tagging people. Judas, hey, like this big boy, you were part of us. Pilate, you know, it's, it's like, what if you couldn't do that? You couldn't call WTKR News Channel 3 to come out and do a news story. You couldn't call Andy Fox from WVBT to come and do a dirt story. How would you get the word out that this dead guy is alive. What would you do? Probably what the disciples did. They, first off, they were like, yo, we got to go tell everyone this. I don't care who they are, where they're from. We got to go out and spread the word that Jesus is alive. And that was their first off theme back in that day was this guy's alive. This guy's beat death. Like, we've actually seen it. But secondly, they said, how are the generations after us going to know that this stuff actually happened? So what did they do? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they wrote accounts. And they said, we are going to write down eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life so generations after them can know how Jesus was born, what Jesus' life was like, what Jesus said, what Jesus taught the Jesus story. Why? So we could know and be included in this whole gospel story. What do we got here? The Bible includes four different what is called gospel, and gospel simply means what? Good news. We got four different books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And really, the cool part here is that each of these books, right? And I mean, if, if you have four people that see the same person from four different angles, they're probably going to have four different views and write four different accounts of what they saw. Not that not, not the, the, they are completely different, but they're just going to have a different lens that they saw things through. And, and also, too, they have a different audience that they are writing to. Think uh, about this. Matthew, the first one. Matthew, he references the Old Testament in his book, in, in his account, 130 times. Why? To show his Jewish audience that, that he was actually writing to, this Jesus guy is the Messiah that you are hoping for, longing for, and that the Old Testament speaks about. Mark, Mark, he wrote to a predominantly Roman audience. Romans could care less about Jesus' birth. They wanted to know, does this guy get stuff done? Romans, they were kind of like us, United States people, right? What are you going to do for us? What kind of, you know, activity do you do? That, that, that's why Mark's book goes straight into Jesus' baptism and Jesus' life. It's, it's that book and also John, don't, don't go into Jesus' birth. They just go straight into Jesus' life. Why? Because in that book, Mark, it uses the word immediately 40 times to, to show Jesus' power and presence. Luke. Luke was a doctor and, and a historian. Luke includes details in his orderly account of Jesus' 
life that, that other books don't. One of them is the fact that Jesus sweated blood. You've probably heard that. And since Luke was a doctor, Luke probably knew, hey, this is something I'm going to put in there. Imagine sweating blood. Why? Luke, Luke knew if you sweat blood, you are under extreme, insane stress. But also, he was a historian. He talked to eyewitness accounts. He actually says this in chapter 1. He says, I went out and talked to those and gathered eyewitness accounts of those who saw Jesus and touched Jesus and saw the things that Jesus did. Why? Because I wanted to make sure that I present an orderly, thorough account of what this Jesus guy did. And, and Luke's book focused primarily also on showing that God was fully man, yet fully God. In the book of John, John was one of Jesus' closest friends, and it records more dialogue than any other book. It shows us details. John also um, uses the word life 36 times in his book, but also the book of John focuses more on Jesus's identity more than his activity, meaning this. Jesus is called the bread of life. He's called the light of, of the world, the door of the sheep, the good shepherd, the resurrection, and the life, and the vine in the book of John. John wanted you and the people that he was writing to to know not only what Jesus did, but who Jesus was. Now, though, man, it's, it's, it's so hard to kind of take these four books and just kind of rifle through them. But as we actually look into in, into Jesus's life in these four gospels. So I just want to talk about three simple themes, three, three things that I see that are kind of just like meta-narratives, themes that run throughout these three books. I want to give them to you quickly today. First off, Jesus brings and proclaimed good news, not just good advice. Jesus came to proclaim not just good news, but good advice. And there's a big difference here. Because if we aren't careful, we can interpret Jesus's words and take Jesus's words as just good advice to add to our lives instead of good news to live from and live for. The gospel is good news, not good advice. The gospel is not primarily a way of life. It is something, it is not something we do, but something that has been done for us and something that we must respond to. Let me break it down to you. Jesus here in Matthew 4, 23 said this. He said, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Matthew 9, 35, he said, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Mark 1, 1, he says, the beginning of the good news. Mark begins his book by saying, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Mark 1, 14, it says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Luke 4, 18, Jesus here is talking. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Luke 4, 43, he says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that is why I was sent. 
Jesus came to say, I have come to bring you good news, the gospel. He did not just come to bring you and I good advice that we add to our lives to make our lives a little better. Jesus said, I have come to bring you good news. And what is the good news? That Jesus has come not to just, you know, help us become better people. Jesus has come to die on the cross in our place and for our sin and ultimately meet our deepest need, which was we did not need to become better people. We did not need to become bad to, to good. We needed to go from death to life. And Jesus, his, our deepest need met Jesus' greatest purpose. We needed life, we needed hope, we needed joy, we needed something beyond this physical life. And Jesus' greatest purpose was to come to this earth and meet our deepest need was that we needed good news. We needed something to actually live for. Guys, we, we need to be so careful because honestly what I see in our church, not just our, our church, but also the church, is we need to be careful to not look at Jesus as something that we just add to our life. Because Jesus did not say the kind of things to just be some sort of just like add-on. Jesus, Jesus said, if you want to find your life, you have to lose your life. He said, if you want to come after me, you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. Jesus was, wasn't somebody that just kind of said, hey, if I can fit into your life, fit me in if you possibly can. Jesus said, I did not just come to fit in, I came to be the foundation that you build your life on. Jesus is not looking for people just to date him. He's not looking for a good old roommate. Jesus wants to be the house that you live in. Jesus wants to be the foundation that you build on. Why? Because it's good news. It is proclaiming to you freedom from the captive, not just, a, and not just an eternal freedom, but also a freedom here and now. Jesus came to proclaim good news. But the good news begins with bad news. How many of you here are people that... Uh, when someone says, I got good news and bad news, how many of y'all want the bad news first? I'm a bad news first. Tell me how bad it's gonna get. Tell me how bad I am. Tell me how bad, tell me what you've done, right? And we can go up from there. Well, the good news that Jesus Christ has come and died in our place and for our sins and given us eternal Life, the good news that Jesus came and proclaimed, unfortunately, begins with bad news. And Jesus, what, what we see Jesus consistently doing throughout the gospel stories from all of these different accounts is pinpointing the main issue with all of humanity. And I think sometimes we can just think that it is just, uh, you know, we, can, we continually mess up behavioral, you know, we just need behavioral modification. We just need to be, do a few more better things and all things will be good. And Jesus cut through all of that. And Jesus said, it's not that you do bad, it's that you are bad. Welcome to Lifehouse Church. If this is your first time, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> but the issue, Jesus said, isn't what we do, it's who we are. He doesn't say, 
The issue is your behavior. Jesus said the issue is your heart. And, and whenever the Bible speaks of our heart, you've probably heard this if you've been in church any amount of time. Whenever you hear, you know, God looks at the heart. Guard your heart above all else. Why? Because out of it flows all of our lives. You've probably heard people say, they have a bad heart. I just wish they had a better heart. Are we talking about their physical heart? No, we're not talking about their, their physical heart. We're talking about whenever scripture talks about heart, it is basically saying the seat of our sensibilities, of our affections, of our emotions, of our desires, appetites, and passions. Our heart is the very core of who we are, and out of that flow so many things. That is why if you have a heart controlled anger with anger, if just on the inside there is no peace and tranquility and, and, and just peace, there might be a reason why you fly off the handle when everything isn't 100% perfect. It's because the issue isn't that you're just OCD. The issue is that in your heart, when you lose control, you, you, you lose it. Why? No, it's not, but it's because you lose control. Some of y'all, your hearts are just controlled by lust, and you keep asking, why do I keep looking at that? Why do I keep sleeping with them? Why can't I stop? Because the deeper issue, the, the actual lie you believe is that if I get this thing, then I'll be happy. But lust is the thing that perpetually promises, if you just get this, then you'll be happy. But all it does is when you get that, the appetite just grows bigger. And now you need more, and now you need more, and now you need more. But what the, the issue isn't what you do. The issue is in your heart, the lies that you're believing in your heart. So Jesus said, I did not come just to help you do a few good things. I came ultimately to give you a new heart. Jesus said the biggest issue is our heart. In Matthew 5, 27 and 28, this is, is Jesus talking. He said, you have heard that it was said. So basically, you know, there was the Old Testament law that said don't commit adultery, right? It was one of the top 10 list. It was, <laughs> was on the top 10 list. He said, but I tell you now, so Jesus is saying, I'm setting a new standard. I'm giving you a new law. He said, but I tell you now, anyone that even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his, in, in his heart. He's saying the issue now isn't that you commit adultery. The issue now is that you first off commit adultery in your heart by what you think and what you want. Mark 7, 21 through 22. He said, for it is from within, this is Jesus, he said, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. He's saying all these things don't come just because you had a bad upbringing. These things don't come just because of what happened to you. These things happen because of the heart that scripture says we're all born with, that we are born with a heart and tendency to turn our back on what is good and what God requires. That's what God calls sin. God calls that a sinful nature, that we all have that perpetual desire to want to do what God does not require and what goes against God, and, but not just goes against what God wants, but what is best for us. And that is why Jesus said the issue is your heart. And that's why Jesus' greatest 
Purpose meets our deepest need. You just don't need to improve your behavior. You need to submit your life and heart to Jesus. Why? Because he will exchange your nasty, sinful, hard heart for his heart, for his life. You will be forgiven and restored and loved. And with, the, and with that new heart, you will then gain new desires. I tell you what, when I first got saved, whew, I was 16, 16 year old boy. So I had hormones raging. But then I knew what God required. And I knew what I felt. And I was like, God, you're going to have to do something with this. If you, want me to, if you want me to follow what you require, where I need to wait until I'm married to have sex, I need to not look at porn. I need to make sure that I, I am keeping my spirit, heart, mind, soul right. God, you're going, you're going, you're going, I'm going to have to go be a monk or something, right? I tell you what, though, it was amazing what God did whenever I submitted my heart and I said, God, I am all messed up, jacked up. I need you. I need your help, your grace, your forgiveness, your truth to come in and take the place of all of these lies in my head. And gradually over time, over a lot of mistakes, over time, seeing God move, seeing God get better. So this is what I want to tell you today. Many of you here, you've probably received Christ, accepted Christ, and you're like, I'm still struggling with the same stuff. And you're even questioning if this Christianity thing is even real because you're still struggling with the same stuff. And you're like, well, you know, why do I keep on having these same desires and stuff like that? Well, I know this. Change begins with a new heart that is submitted to Jesus. And then after that, here's the thing. It is, a, it is an instant yet continual change. Whenever you say yes to Jesus, instantaneously your spirit is renewed. But at the same time, you also have a physical body that you've been training for years to do certain things, right? You're, you know, you, you've watched certain things, you've done certain things, you've had certain actions. And it's so funny how we are so shocked that we don't 100% change on the outside. When you've been training your body for 25, 30 years, some of you to do stuff you, you know isn't, is not right. And you're shocked you haven't changed in 30 minutes, right? When it's like, no, you have to then, in the same way you've trained your body to jack yourself up and to do things opposite of what God, of what God wants and what God requires, now you have to, in the same way, retrain, reprogram, rethink the way that what God wants and what God requires. And slowly but surely, as you replace the old lies with the truth, as, as uh, over, over many mistakes, you will slowly see progress. Now, you know, this is what I think. We always hear church, you know, growth is just always going upwards. Growth is just always this glory to glory. Good to good. Always ascending. And do you know what I've seen Christian growth as really three steps up, two steps down. Four steps up, three steps down. Five steps up, three steps down. Four steps up, six steps down. It's kind of more like this. But we always want it just to be this continual ascent upwards. That is not true real Christian change, y'all. It's not real life. But wherever you're at on your journey today, get back up. Get back up. I know some of you feel 
defeated. Some of you walked into this place. Even last night, you did things you're ashamed of. I want to say, get back up. Get back up. Get back up. Why? Because part of following Jesus, I believe the first thing that God wants to actually teach us is to get back up. Get back up. Yeah, you completely messed up last night. Yeah, you did some stuff you're not proud of. Get back up. Believe the gospel. You're forgiven. God is good. Your sin has been casted. Get back up and move on. That was for somebody here today. I don't know where I was going with that, but that was for some, somebody. John chapter 4. This is a very, very well-known story here. Uh, Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman. Um, so we'll just kind of uh, walk through this story here. It says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. This, now, first off, this is just like breaking social, social norms here. First off, Jesus speaking to a woman, a Samaritan woman. Samaritans and Jews did not associate. That would just be breaking a lot of social norms here. But he says, then the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, who it, who it, is, it, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? And then she turns it into a spiritual conversation. So I think she kind of knew Jesus is a religious leader. Um, yeah, I think I remember about this guy, Jacob, when I was growing up in like kindergarten or something like that, talking about a well he drank from himself or something. He says, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, and, and Jesus just kind of cuts through her kind of like religious talk. He cuts from the whole, you know, what this girl is doing to, to what she actually needs. He says, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go back and call your husband and come back. Uh, I ain't got no husband, Lieutenant Dan. She, she, she replied, Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands. Imagine this being you. Jesus reading your mail. You've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is just quite true. Do you see what Jesus did here? Jesus cut through the stuff and said, the real issue isn't the fact that you're physically thirsty. The real issue is the fact that you're spiritually thirsty, that you're trying to fill an eternal need with a temporary solution. You're trying to get these men, get these husbands, get these guys. If you just get these, the, these mans then you'll fulfill that deep need and void that you have in your heart. But Jesus said, let me tell you this, no matter how many mans you get, no matter how many husbands you have, you will never fill an eternal need in your soul and in your heart with a temporary solution known as a husband. Well, how, how do we know this? You've tried five times and it didn't work. You've tried it five times and it didn't work. Then no matter what kind of husband you get, it would, never it would never fulfill you. Why? You've got a deep need in your heart that was never meant to be filled by men and people. And some of you here are out there looking to fill an eternal void, an eternal need in your soul with temporary things that were never meant to satisfy you. And whenever those things or people do not fill that void for you, you demonize them. 
and you get mad at them. This is why so many marriages do not work. It's because people put eternal-sized burdens on their spouse to be everything to them. And your spouse was never meant to complete you. They're supposed to be there to complement you. If you put a complete me mentality on your spouse, you'll cripple them under the expectations. That's only supposed to be something that goes on God. And as God fills that deep and and eternal need that you have in your heart, then you'll be free not to use your spouse to fill that deep need for, you know, for love that you have in your heart, but you'll be free to love and serve them because you'll have your deep need filled by the one that can actually fill it, and that's God. You see how this works. When God fills your deepest need, you're then free to love and serve others because you're now not needing their security, approval, love, affection, whatever. But you're free to love them because your need has been met by God. The biggest issue that we have, Jesus said, is our hearts. Mike, you can go ahead and come back up. That means I'm closing. (laughs) You're welcome. The first thing Jesus said, I came to proclaim good news, and the good news is this. You can be saved. You can have your eternal need met. Jesus said the biggest need is our heart. Your biggest need isn't just to change what you do. Your biggest need is to change who you are, and that happens when you submit your heart to Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross, and and you receive by grace through faith what Jesus did on the cross for you. But also, too, a major theme that, that we see here is Jesus' final words. I love this. Jesus' fin- final words, some of them are documented in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus said this, then Jesus came to them and talked about them is the disciples. And he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Because at this time, he, he rose from death. And when he rose from death, he overcame Satan, sin, and the grave. The three things holding people down. Satan, the sin, and the grave. He overcame them. He said, all authority has now been given to me because I've overcome them. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Just some very, very pointed words here that I just, that I just want to highlight quickly. It says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You know, Jesus has all authority in his hands. Isn't it so funny how we can almost trust Jesus with our soul eternally, but not trust him with our, our temporary situations? Like, do you know Jesus has all authority in his hands? He's got all power when his disciples saw him calm the seas, when they saw him heal the sick and heal the blind. Jesus has all authority today, and I want you to be reminded of that, that he is in charge. He has authority. He's, he has overcome. And because he has overcome through, his, through the power of his Holy Spirit, you can have the power to overcome as well, whatever you're facing today. Also, though, Jesus goes on. He says, therefore, go and make disciples. Jesus did not say, go and make nice church people. Hey, 12, 11, go and make some nice church people that go to a building once per week 
and become somewhat nice people. Okay. No, Jesus said, I want you to go and make disciples. The same way that I have discipled you, it's the same way you have followed me. Go and through the power of my spirit, go and create more disciples who will follow Jesus. We need to be careful in this culture to, to not want Jesus to follow us, right? But we understand that we are followers of Jesus. Because I don't know, I, I just think in this culture, Christianity can really easily become Hey, Jesus, follow me where I go. Where I go, you can follow me. When we need a Jesus, we don't need a Jesus that follows us. We, we need a Jesus that we can follow. And following Jesus is going to require sacrifice. It's going to require us counting the cost. Be wary of following a Jesus that doesn't cost you something. If you're following a Jesus that never tells you no, that's not that's not a God. That is a genie. We need a Jesus that we can follow that is just like the one in Scripture. When, when Jesus said, come and follow me, you need to count the cost before you follow me. Why? Because it's not going to be easy. There's going to be times you're not going to feel it. There's going to be times where you're not going to agree with what I'm saying. So it's like, but in those moments when you don't feel it, are you going to turn away or are you going to follow? Or when you, there's not something in it for you, you're going to turn away and not follow him no more. And my heart and prayer for you, Lifehouse, any, any, anybody here, podcast listening right now, is, is that we would be those that don't say, Jesus, follow me, but we would say, Jesus, I want to follow you into creating and making me whoever you want me to be, into whatever you've called me to do, I want to follow you. And then he says this, go and teach them to obey. I'm telling you, in Christianity, we have an obedience problem. We don't have a knowledge problem. It's so true, y'all. If Christians only obeyed half of what they knew, this world, this city would be turned upside down, including me. If I obeyed half of what I knew, half of the knowledge I had, this world and city would be turned upside down. Imagine if we Lifehouse said, we're just not gonna ask God to show us more, ask God to reveal himself more. But, but our prayer today was, God, let us obey what we already know. Help me to love this person that I don't like. Help me to love and serve the poor. Help me to stop looking at that. Lifehouse, let, let's, let, let's be people that don't crave knowledge. Let's crave obedience. Let's let our hearts say, Jesus, let me obey you. Beyond what I feel. And I think so many times we let feelings lead obedience. Well, I don't feel like it. Man, if, if your faith is dependent on your, on your feelings, if your obedience is depending on your feelings, you are going to be up and down. Your faith is going to be up and down. You're going to be inconsistent. But if your feelings follow your obedience. Watch out, world. Watch out. Lastly, I got to close. Lord Jesus said, surely I am with you always to the end of the age. I don't know. I feel like some of you today need to just, just have this subtle reminder. Jesus is with you. He's with you. I know you don't feel it. I know you don't sense it. I know you're in a dry season right now. I know you're in a dry period. 
I know there's been times where you felt him more clearly and felt him more nearly in the past, but right now he doesn't feel that way. He doesn't feel that way to you, but his promise to us that we see throughout scripture, Jesus is with you. He's walking with you through the fire. He's walking with you through the valleys. He's walking with you. And what he's doing is he's training you. He's helping you. Why? To follow him even when you don't feel it. But he's there and he's walking with you. I want to remind you today, he's with you, Lifehouse fam. Y'all, what if, what if we became true followers of Jesus. That said, Jesus, where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to do? I just don't want you to add. I don't want to add you to my life. I don't want you to be a small part. I don't want you to just take a couple cool statements, teachings that you had and just add them to my life. I want you to be the foundation that, that I build on, the identity I live from and the hope that I live for. Because that's what it was truly meant to be, y'all. And my prayer is for me today first. Because what I read in the gospels, the book of Acts, I want to see that happen here. In, in, I want to see that happen here in in this city, y'all. It's, it's, let's pray, Jesus. We just want God, Jesus. We just want to pause right now. We just want to say thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you for this message, and God, we just pray that as we go into a time of singing, a time of reflecting and thinking, God, that you would challenge us, transform us, and that God, you would pinpoint areas of our life today that. The, this sermon highlighted, areas that we need to change, mindsets we need to shift, truth we need to believe, lies we need to cast down. God, that we would, would uh, God, see change happen today, not just to be better people, but heart change, deep-rooted change in the very core of who we are. Really, really quickly, with every head bowed, every eye closed, maybe today your deepest need is you need a new heart like I talked about earlier. You've never made a, a decision to exchange your heart for God's heart, to make a decision, a declaration, a, 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 a basically line in the sand of saying, I want to follow Jesus. And today you want to actually do that. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask everybody to join in with me. And if, if you're praying this prayer today for the first time and you're praying it with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you really believe it, I believe that today you will truly experience life change through Christ. Because that's what it is about. He wants to change you from the inside out. So what we're going to do today is, is all I'm gonna do is pray. And as I pray, if everyone here would, would, would just repeat after me and join in with those praying this prayer for the first time. Ready, repeat after me. Jesus, I give you my heart. I take your life. I take your hope. I take your joy. I take your peace. I take your love. Thank you for exchanging my dirty heart for your heart. I give you my life. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place and for my sin and giving me new life now and new life forever. Jesus, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Lifehouse family, can we just give it up for those that said that prayer today for the first time? Would you stand with me, Lifehouse? We're going to go into a time of singing and reflecting and just open up your heart Whatever business you need to do with God. Thank you again for joining us on the Lifehouse Newport News Podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com 
or on any social media platform. Thank you so much and God bless.